Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a real-time monitoring platform that unifies metrics, logs, and distributed request traces from your cloud containers and orchestration software. Track the health and performance of your dynamic containers, apps, and services with rich visualizations and machine learning-driven alerts. Datadog's cluster agent streamlines data collection from large container clusters and allows you to auto-scale Kubernetes workloads based on any metric you're already collecting with Datadog. To start monitoring your container clusters today, sign up for a free trial, and Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit datadog.com cloudcast to get started today. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well. It's a little bit cold here in the United States. We're getting ready to get a uh, very, very large blizzard here in uh, the North Carolina area. So hope everybody's doing well wherever you are and hope you are starting to adjust into 2022. It's another Sunday Perspective show. Excited to be with you. And this week we're going to talk about uh, an article that was written by the good folks over at Red Monk, uh, in particular, James Governor, the uh, head monk over at Red Monk, the analyst firm. Um, and what he really kind of focuses on is this shift to remote work. And he lays out sort of a case for, um, you know, how, you know, not only COVID and the pandemic, but the last few years, uh, and a number of very, very successful companies uh, are starting to prove that uh, not only remote work is very feasible, um, there are a number of companies who have, you know, gone 100% remote work, but uh, really lays out some stats from uh, a lot of the hiring that's going on lately, and how, you know, in his, his perspective, um, you know, there, there's not only a trend for remote work, but this could become sort of a new a new normal, if you will. Uh, saying normal these days feels very odd because uh, it feels like everything's changing, but uh, it's a very, very good article. And what I want to do is not so much debate the article, dive into the article. Uh, I'm going to put it in the show notes. You can take a look at it. I think it's very much worth reading. But what I want to do is, as somebody who has been a remote worker for uh, quite a while, uh, more than two decades, if if you will, um, I want to kind of give some tips because you know, there's not only the article, but I'll put the the sort of the Twitter thread uh, that follows after it, because there was quite a bit of debate, um, you know, on Twitter, as, as there always is, uh, about whether or not the premises of James' article is is accurate, not in the near term, but in the long term. And there were some folks who sort of said, well, this is just a blip on the radar, and so on and so forth. And, and, and I'm not here to sort of debate James's side of it or the other side of it. Um, either one of them could be correct, because it basically expects that somebody's got a crystal ball as to what's going to happen. Their article is a little more focused on sort of like the rock star hiring and, and all of this. But what I'd like to do um, right after the break is kind of dive into some suggestions if this does become more of a new normal or even just a new normal for you or for your company or for your group uh, based on uh, a number of years of experience having been a remote worker uh, as well as having been a you know, remote worker these last couple of years that I think can be very helpful uh, to you in terms of um, you know, how do you make sure your team can be successful? How can you be successful? Um, you know, how can you, uh, you know, be productive as a group, as an individual, and so forth? So I want to dive into that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Cloud Zero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, Cloud Zero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, Cloud Zero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? 
What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com slash cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, what I want to kind of dive into is, um, you know, kind of a, a an adjacency, if you will, to the article by James Governor from Redmonk. Um, as I mentioned, it'll be in the show notes as well as sort of the, the follow-up tr- Twitter thread, you know, debating uh, the pros and cons of his arguments. But what I what I want to do is kind of give some tips and tricks, if you will. Uh, we've done this with with other kind of jobs, uh, product managers, techno marketing, uh, marketing, other other types of jobs. We talked about some of these things, VP of engineering. Uh, but I want to kind of give some tips and tricks uh, about remote work. And the reason I want to do that is, you know, I think there's, anyways, let me sort of dive into it because I, I think one of the biggest things that you have to understand is, um, you know, as you'll find as you work with different organizations, different teams and so forth, there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics that go on within not only normal teams, uh, teams that meet together, teams that get together face-to-face, teams that are sort of split or hybrid, face-to-face and remote. Um, and and probably more than anything, um, you know, a lot of times people go, well, the way we'll deal with this is, you know, we will we will build around great tools that allow us to collaborate. And I think the reality in that is, while there are some very interesting tools, um, whether you call them great or not, um, you know, collaboration tools, just like technology fixing your digital transformation, um, can be part of the equation, part of the way to fix it or improve it. Um, but oftentimes, if you just assume that you have the right tools, you're going to find yourself, um, you know, kind of struggling and, and wondering, you know, why, why are we not working as well as we can? Why do we have factions within our group? Why are we not getting the productivity we want? Why are we not getting the quality we want? So what I want to try and do is spend some time kind of walking through a half dozen or so tips and tricks that I've learned over the years um, to try and make remote work. And again, this could apply to sort of hybrid, you know, where you have some part of the group or the organization is kind of centralized and gets together and meets face to face. And then some number of people are sort of spokes, um, you know, they're remote or if the organization is becoming more and more remote, um, sort of everybody's remote from everybody else, if you will. So let me kind of walk through these. The first one I've got on my list, um, and and this may seem small, but uh, I think it's probably really good to have first, is understanding time zones, the impact of time zones on where people work, and the kind of the cultural norms of the people that are on your team, right? Um, this could be, uh, you know, you're in multiple time zones, and, and maybe you're all in the United States, or you're all within one country, and that's not a really a big deal. Um, but even an hour here or an hour there, two hours there, two hours here, um, you really have to understand those. And and sometimes they're really the simplest things like, hey, we're having a meeting at uh, 1230. And you will have people on the team who will go, is that your time? Is that my time? Is that whatever? So that's the first thing you have to kind of get is understand where people work, understand and appreciate that they're not all in the same place. Um, and the second piece of this is kind of the cultural norms. And by cultural norms, this could be really anything. It could be um, that you're in different countries. It could be different languages. It could be, you know, people in certain countries have uh, certain norms about the times at which they work, the hours at which they start, the hours at which they stop, how they treat, um, 
you know, holidays. Um, men and women work differently. Um, older people on your team and younger people on your team are going to work differently. And it's really under important uh, very early on, whether you're building a team around this or you're coming into a team, is to really kind of understand those things, right? Like time and place and the things that are normal for the people within your team that um, – you know, may not be normal for you. And again, it's not a matter of sort of picking which normal is best or which time zone is best. It's having an understanding that they exist. It's having an understanding that, um, you know, not everybody wants to have a meeting at five o'clock, uh, four o'clock Pacific time. If they're on the East Coast, it's on a Friday at seven o'clock. You know, all those sort of things are really important to kind of get up front, right? Like, when do you work? When does everybody else work? Where do you have overlap? What do they expect? Are they, you know, all those sort of things. So that's the first thing that's super, super important. The second thing, um, and and people will have pushback on this, and, and that's fine. Um, different people on the team are going to work different amount of hours, not not time zone hours. Like, hey, we work, you know, in this time zone, but you're going to have different people that work different amounts of hours, and and that's not necessarily an indication of, you know, how hard they work or are they a better worker or whatever it is. But you are going to have people that that do that, and. That's normal. Um, you have that within normal office situations as well. But it's really important to understand, um, you know, is that something that is driven by the leadership of the team and therefore is kind of uh, pushed as we expect everybody else on the team to do that? Um, is that something in which, you know, when you have dependencies on teams, you're pairing people up to go, hey, that person just likes to work more hours, right? They, you know, they're it might be they're more driven. It might be they have more projects that are longer. Uh, they might just be like, look, uh, that person's single and that person's got a family or that person, um, whatever, right, is a night owl. And so it's really kind of important to understand that people are going to work different hours um, and think about how that's going to impact how you work together, right? Will that be detrimental? Will it be, it doesn't matter. Will it be, um, useful to pair people up that work certain amounts of hours together in certain time zones. So again, sort of time-based, but more about, you know, how, what's the frequency of when they're working and will that impact the people that are dependent upon them or, you know, maybe the type of work that you do is, is very time dependent and and you need to know that people are going to be there to respond at certain things. Um, maybe they treat off hours or pager duty hours differently than they think about your regular work hours or even lunch hour, things like that. So kind of, again, being very cognizant of, you know, the timing, time zones and the cultural norms. Now, the third thing, and this is incredibly important um, and, and oftentimes overlooked and oftentimes really difficult if you're new coming into a group or you've come from somewhere else, um, is to really understand and establish some norms about how your team's going to communicate, how individuals are going to communicate. Um, and to a certain extent, this has to do with the tools you use, right? Which chat tool do you use? Do you use something like Slack? Do you use Gchat? Do you use what's built into the communication and collaboration tools you have, like a um, you know, the Facebook tool, uh, the Facebook tool, like Microsoft tool, like Teams or WebEx or Zoom or whatever, like which tools do you use and um, how do you expect to communicate, right? Like is day-to-day communication done on something like Slack, but other things are done via email, right? Um, do you do a lot of communication via like slides and PowerPoint in which the expectation is people are going to need to read through those things to be kept speed as to what's going on? 
Do you send out meeting minutes after meetings? Do you do agendas ahead of time? Do you put them somewhere? Do you record meetings, right, if somebody can't attend? And so it's really important to kind of understand all those things and understand what the norm is because people are going to have different things that they like to use. Some people, you know, do all sorts of crazy things. Aaron and I have had discussions in this show about all the different ways that he has, you know, to-do lists and calendar lists. And some people, you know, live by calendars and some people live by spreadsheets and other people live by some other thing. And, and that may be all fine, but if that isn't plugged into the normal way that people do stuff and people are like, look, the most important stuff happens on like Slack and email and slides or, you know, this, this, and that. If people aren't living in those places um, and they're going to be missing stuff, you have some sort of problem within the team, right? And it might just be that you've got to convince that one outlier to uh, to begin to, to use those tools. Um, it might be that um, you've got to figure out, hey, nobody's using those tools and maybe we need to find something else. But again, not having a common way of communicating, um, at least for the main things that everybody in the team has to know what's going on with, um, is, is you know, a, a huge red flag as to, you know, how productive you can be, especially if you're remote, right? Because it's very, very different than being like, hey, I can walk down the office and talk to Mary, or somebody can come down and three or four of us can jump into the boss's uh, office or in front of a whiteboard and do stuff. Like that doesn't, like, those things don't exist, right? The hallways don't exist when you have remoteness, right? So how do you create those hallways? How do you create those meeting rooms? How do you create those whiteboard sessions? Those, hey, uh, let's, you know, talk while we're going to get a coffee or whatever those types of situations are. Now, the next thing I've got on my list is you need to figure out ways to have um, challenging or difficult conversations, right? And I don't mean like, oh, I need to have a conversation with my boss because they don't treat me well, or uh, you know, I don't get along with somebody, or I found out somebody else makes more money than me and I need to go through the promotion. Pro- I don't mean that. Like, Yes, you need to figure out how to do those things because they're part of sort of working within a corporate organization. But what I mean is more along the lines of, hey, we're building this thing. And in order to be able to build it well, like we have to have an architectural conversation. Or we're now at a point where we've got two or three competing priorities, and we need to figure out which one we're going to prioritize and make sure everybody's okay with that, make sure we understand the dependencies, you know, those kind of conversations. Or, hey, the net promoter scores just came back and they were like 57 for the organization. That's not very good. Um, We got to figure out why this happened. And it's going to be sort of uncomfortable and people are going to point some fingers and we're going to look at some data and all those sort of things. And the reason I point all this out is oftentimes when you have Uh, face-to-face teams, like you can kind of have these conversations. They don't have to always be group conversations, but you can kind of have them because you're like, oh yeah, it's just me and me and Steve are having this conversation. We're kind of working through some stuff or a few of us have been talking and we think we got to work on some stuff. Um, What happens all too often in remote teams is you get into these cycles of the only times you get together are the the weekly meeting, the biweekly meeting, the monthly or the quarterly meeting. And what tends to happen is everybody wants to have 15, 10, 15 minutes on the schedule. And too often, those things evolve into status updates and red, yellow, green meetings. And if you don't know what red, yellow, green meetings is, um, it's the simplest way of saying, hey, what's the status of a meet of something? If it's red, it's bad. If it's yellow, it's sort of, you know, in between. It could be good. It could be bad. But, you know, it's trending in one direction. And green means it's great. And too often, um, you know, when you don't have a forum, a mechanism, to have those difficult conversations, too many things evolve into red, yellow, green meetings. 
and and then some things sort of fester. They become technical debt, they become organizational debt, and so forth. So you've got to figure out some way to say, hey, um, you know, what is our mechanism for having these challenging, difficult, complex conversations, right? And and again, do them in a way that you know everybody who needs to be included is included. Um, there are readouts from it. People understand the reasoning why certain things came out of it. But it's really important to have those those kind of meetings and and have a a forum for having those meetings. Now. Next thing I've got on my list, and this this sort of speaks to managers, and um, you know I'll tell this from a couple of perspectives. I've I've managed remote teams for a long time, um, mostly in the United States, with some in other countries. Um, you know whether it's in mostly in Europe, although at times I've managed teams in in India, uh, in Asia, Central uh, and Eastern Europe, and so forth. And this isn't a statement about any of those people or any of those cultures. But anytime you have a great distance between you and you may have some sort of language barrier, right? English is a second language or whatever your primary language is, is a second language for those people. And a lot of what you're doing is sort of passing them along requirements, right? This is especially important when people are building things. You've got remote engineering teams and so forth. And you tend to have what, – what you've got to be very careful of is you don't create um, – and this happens a lot of times because – you know, some places around the world are considered, you know, lower cost engineering centers or, you know, it's, oh, those engineering teams are sort of remote. We're going to give them, you know, lesser work or, you know, lower skill work or whatever the terminology is for it, right? We've, we've sort of heard this all over the place. But what ends up happening is you, as a manager, are ultimately going to be responsible for whatever that work is, whether it costs a lot of money or a little amount of money or they're close to you or they're far away from you. And what you have to be willing to do and know that you have to do is sort of additional quality control. And it's not a statement uh, in any way about the people that are doing the work. It's about, do you, have you created a situation in which they can create what you expect, right? And, uh, you know, there's lots and lots of examples of this. Um, when I was doing work that involved hardware plus software, uh, and we're, you know, rolling things off of manufacturing lines, we literally had to send people to the manufacturing lines to, you know, to test and validate the first few units that came off the line, even though they'd gone through QA and all sorts of uh, dev test and, and, and CI and CD and so forth. We still had to make sure they would boot because, you know, we had a situation one time where we didn't necessarily do that. It was early in our relationship with this third party vendor. And uh, we had 50,000 boxes that didn't boot. And then what ended up happening was we had to, instead of having them, you know, shipped on the normal slow boat, which, you know, fit within our margin, uh, had to be shipped via airplane. And it blew up our margin and basically blew up our quarter because we didn't know that we didn't, that that we needed to have additional quality control people, you know, with certain things happening. And, and that's a unique case, but you have to know that if you have these remote teams and uh, you create any sort of scenario in which, you know, you're sort of just, you're not in communication with them as much. Maybe it's a very different time zone, a very different language. You've got to find some way to create additional quality control above and beyond what maybe you normally expect or you just assume, right? And so it's the kind of classic, don't assume because when you assume you, and you all know the rest of the phrase. So be very cautious about that. But the other flip side of that is not just create quality control, but be very conscious to, to try and avoid creating kind of centers of power and centers of weakness, if you will. Um, it's very easy to sort of be like, well, headquarters is the center of power or this place where you know the five head engineers or lead engineers are all based is the center of power and everything else is a center of weakness in, in essence, right? It's a spoke. Um, 
you want to make sure that that you find ways to diffuse that, um, that you you know you take those sort of centers of power and make sure that they're accountable for what happens in these remote locations and so forth. Um, it may not happen as much when you have these you know completely dispersed teams, but again, that's another sort of area that as a manager you got to be really really conscious about um, you know not creating and fostering and allowing to um, you know intimidate people that are that are remote. And then finally, the last thing on my list. Um, is, you know, you want to create some ways, especially again, if you if you have um, you know remote people um, and you're you're bringing in people new and and so forth, you know, it becomes harder to sort of go. Here's the culture we have. Here's the training that we have. Right. A lot of companies when you first join, like you'll go to the headquarters and you'll spend a week there and you'll kind of get immersed in everything. When that's not happening, um, you know, imbibing your culture, dispersing your culture. Uh, spreading your culture, just making people aware of what you what you do is more and more difficult. So I, I highly recommend creating kind of a program that I'd either call like a mentorship program, right? A senior and a junior people or just, you know, junior plus 30 days with new junior, whatever it might be, or manager and junior, whatever the relationship needs to be, or sort of a big brother, big sister sort of relationship. Again, um, you know, pairing people up that have similar personalities, similar skill sets, or working in similar places. Um, you don't want to create a situation in which it's, oh man, I feel like I have another boss. I have somebody I'm responsible for. But you want somebody who basically can show you the ropes, you know, kind of get you started. And again, you can make the program as exhaustive or as, as small as you want. It could be, look, it's only the first 30 days because we're hiring so many people. You know, I need to be able to sort of spread the wealth and I need to be able to scale this. Or it could be 90 days or six months or whatever it might be, whatever makes sense for the size of your organization, the depth at which you need to bring people on board. I think those are really, really important. Pair some people together. And again, what you're getting out of that, hopefully, is the ability to you know, teach somebody to fish so they can teach some next person to fish and they can teach the next person. Or maybe you know, after, uh, after six months, you take on two people or you take on four people or whatever you do. Um, so it's a great way to, to make sure the culture stays vibrant. Um, that people are staying in communication with each other, other sorts of things like that. And then obviously, the last couple little things uh, on the list, um, you know, try and be consistent with your tools uh, so people know where things are, are going on. Again, I talked about communication. Uh, but another couple things that people don't really think about, especially if you've never fully worked remote. I mean, everybody's been doing the, the, the COVID thing and, and, you know, we're kind of trying to make it work. Um, but be conscious of, of people that are remote, right? Just like if you were to walk into a room and, uh, you know, people who want to sit right next to the, the boss, all right, I sort of know what they're doing. And maybe you arrange it so that they sit next to you. But if you have the people who kind of are at the end of the table and their body language is such like, I'm not really participating, right? You got to be looking for that in remote meetings as well, in, in, in just like, are they participating in the Slack? Are they, you know, are they active on emails? Like what's going on? And so you want to be kind of conscious of that because, that might be, hey, they're not fitting in, and that happens. It might be that they're shy and introverted, and that happens. But it might just be, hey, they don't feel comfortable participating in this way that you do things. And you've got to figure out, how do I, how do I make them comfortable? Like, right? Because you hired them for a reason. They obviously have a skill set. They bring some value to what you do. Um, but that's another kind of really common thing that happens is that you, know, you don't make it easy for people to participate. People of you know, different skill set, different ethnicity, different um, you know, men and women, dynamics of the room uh, might be such that it doesn't work out. So be very, very conscious of all those sort of things. Um, anyways, I'm going to kind of wrap it up. I went through a lot of stuff. Uh, I feel like the last couple of weeks have been kind of people-centric and, and I've been spending a little bit of time doing some people-centric stuff. Um, 
just to start the year. Because again, it's it's one of those fundamental things that I think we forget a little bit uh, about. Um, you know, we've been in COVID for so long. We haven't been around people as much. It's, it's kind of good to refresh kind of the basics of making sure that you communicate well, collaborate well, um, you know, understand what people need um, emotionally, uh, intellectually, um, you know, how they need to be motivated, all those sort of things. So um, hopefully this remote stuff is helpful. Um, again, I don't know whether or not James Governor is is on the money in terms of you know remote being the new normal, or whether or not this will be a you know two or three year fad that's really just driven by COVID and something else will change. It doesn't really matter. I think the reality is we're probably going to see much more remote than we did pre-COVID. Um, we got very very hung up in everything that's to be centralized. Hey, here's an awesome job. Will you move to San Francisco? Kind of thing. Um, I think you know one way or the other. There's probably going to be a lot of correctness in what James has. James is I have tremendous respect for for what him and, and uh, Stephen O'Grady and everybody at Red Monk does. But, you know, I think having having worked remote, um, you know, it the opportunity to have any talent, the best talent, work anywhere they feel comfortable working, feel part of a team and not have to be forced into this or be restricted in what they do um, is going to unlock all sorts of interesting things. I know Aaron and I have seen it having done this for for quite a while. Um, you know, we've figured out a way to do it. At times, we felt very empowered. At times, we feel very, very alone and, and, you know, feeling like we don't really have any path forward. Um, but I think, you know, we're going to see, uh, quite a few people and, and anytime something lasts for two plus three plus four plus years, good God, I hope it doesn't last that long. Um, you know, new habits happen. And I think this is going to become the formation of some amount of, of a new habit. So hopefully some of this stuff was useful to you. Hopefully, um, if you're working remote, um, you know, some of this will be, um, hopefully you're doing some of them today. And, you know, if you run into situations and we can help you in any way, again, as always, hit us up, shoot us a note, either a DM on, on Twitter or just hit us up on Twitter at the Cloudcast.net. Shoot us a note at show at thecloudcast.net. Always happy to answer some questions or try and give some guidance or make introductions for you. So as always, folks, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for giving us feedback on the show, giving us five-star ratings on iTunes and all the other places you get your podcast. Thanks for telling a friend. Um, you know, we continue to see the show grow. The last six months in particular have really been, um, we've seen a big boom. We've probably seen, you know, several thousand more people joining the show. And we're seeing a lot of like, pre-pandemic, pre-COVID um, stats coming back, which is really nice. It means people are getting back into podcasts and we're glad that uh, we're part of your, your normal rotation. So we don't take that for granted. Uh, we're very, very thankful. Thank you as always. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 